0: Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 4. This is lesson number 11 of Part 4, and uh, the Lord has really been talking to us about some very, very uh, important things to Him from His perspective in all of these parts and each of the lessons in each of. Uh, uh, all of the lessons of each part. And uh, we're beginning to wind down the subject. Only a few more lessons to go. And uh, so these last couple of lessons is going to be, uh, they're not going to be repetitious, but there will be some uh, setting the nail. We've driven the nail in, but we're going to have to do some setting the nail. We're Just as uh, a teacher's repetition, so there's some things here we we need to talk about it a little bit. We won't necessarily be using all the same scriptures, but there's some things we need to talk about. So the title of lesson eleven here is Glorying in His presence. Uh, the message of this lesson is, as it has been since lesson one of Part One, we must lift up Christ and not ourselves. God will not bless wrong motives. He will not use wrong motives. And the tragedy is it will appear as though he's letting us buy with wrong motives. But when we succeed using wrong motives, all we really do is succeed in deceiving ourselves because it's not true and it's not happening. The Lord had obviously impressed upon Paul the peril of having great spiritual results and supernatural experiences without an accompanying crucifixion in order to keep his flesh from glorying in the presence of God. Uh, Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven, Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy ghost and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me, a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He repeated that twice in this verse to get the point home to us, the purpose of what God was doing here. He was dealing with his motive. God was dealing with Paul's motive. Now, if the Lord's not going to let Paul buy with wrong motives, is he going to let you and I look wrong with wrong motives? Well, we're not as important to Paul. Well, then the Lord's a liar because he says he's no respecter of persons. So one of us is not more important that, to him than others. We, each of us have, have a different place in him He's got a different, we're a different member of his body. There's not a different plan of salvation. There's not a different doctrine, but there's a different place for us. There's the all-encompassing will of God, but then for each one of us, there is the specific will of God for our lives, for this vessel, for this conduit in our place, in his picture, in his plan, in his purpose. Each one of us is a piece of the... Big jigsaw puzzle. And each one of us has a specific place where we fit in God. In God's picture. And if we do the will of God, He will slide us right into His place. He will make us and mold us so we fit perfectly in that place that He left just for us in this big plan, His picture, His purpose. Paul also said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.6, in regards to the qualifications of a bishop, that the bishop must not be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. The problem with motive is, if we succeed, if we are blessed, and our motive is wrong, we will take the credit. We will take the glory. And that puts us in enmity with God because he said he will give his flesh, his, his, excuse me, his glory to no other. He said no flesh will glory in my presence. So, Paul was further made aware of the tendency of the flesh to use God's gifts to glory, uh, to glorify our persons and verse first Corinthians eight, one says, now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth." So you can go by the letter of the law. And I believe in the letter of the law, but I don't believe in the letter of the law without it being balanced by the Spirit of God or the love of God. So if I have knowledge of the Word of God, the law of God, no matter how much knowledge of the Word of God, the law of God I have, but it's not balanced by my relationship with God through the Spirit, it I get puffed up because my motive is wrong. Colossians 2 and 8, Is very, very specific. Paul said, beware, lest anybody, any man spoil you. And the word spoil there is not like meat going bad, but it's what an army does when it defeats the enemy. Their possessions become that army's possession. Now, the uh, uh, Geneva Convention set up certain rules of war, That we're not supposed to do that anymore. We're not supposed to rape a country of its resources and its, uh, its worth and wealth and whatever. Uh, but it's still done to some degree. If you got the power, you got the wealth. And if you're the defeated and I'm the victor, I can do pretty much whatever I want to do that I can get away with so he said beware lest any man spoil you rob you steal from you those things of value eternal value they do that through philosophy that's man's intellectual uh surmisings and vain deceit just pumping up your flesh and 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 deceiving yourself that you are somebody uh special Uh, above what God has intended for you to be. After the tradition of men, because tradition is what man adds to the Bible, so man has something that's his in all of that. And what do we do? We have a tendency to lean more toward communicating and enforcing our traditions than we do simply preaching and teaching the word of God. And we let tradition, what we've always done, the things our elders have passed down to us. I I believe in elders passing things down to us and I appreciate that, appreciate that very much what has been passed. But through all of history, people were always tested by where their allegiance stood. Does your allegiance stand with what your father taught? Does your allegiance stand with what your elders taught? Or are you able to be taught by the Lord so he can add lines to your understanding that your fathers and elders didn't have to that, in, in their understanding? Can he add line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little there, a little to you, which is beyond where your fathers and elders were? Is he able to do that? Because, but you're so, or, or are you so loyal to the tradition of men? that you feel like you're betraying them if God gives you another, further, more complete understanding. I don't mean this critically. And because I had seven pastors by the time I graduated high school because my dad was in the Navy, I'm not speaking of any individual, but the culture of Pentecost taught me to live for God and to work for God. And I, I, that was the goal all those years. And when I came to Annapolis, Maryland, To start a church, I came trying to promote living for God, working for but God, but God, He began to work in me to say, "Nah, no that the reason that's not really working for you, and has never really worked for you is because it's not really me. I want I don't want you to do for me," He said. If I need anything, I wouldn't ask you. So He doesn't want me doing it for Him either living for him or working for him. He wants me to die out to myself, my will, my way, my efforts, my glory, my credit, and let him live in me and let him and his faith minister through me to others. Praise God. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after tradition of men and after the rudiments are the elements of this world and not after Christ. The fundamentals of this world, independence, self-sufficiency, do my own thing. Don't let people spoil you through that. Don't let them do that. Following what they say, whoever they are, that's the elements of this world. The word "their world is cosmos, this world system of things. It's not talking about the planet, but man's systems, man's cultures on the planet. Biblically, there's only one culture for those of us that are saved, truly a part of the body of Christ. There isn't black culture, white culture, Spanish culture, Asian culture, any other culture. There's only one culture. That's the culture of Christ. Because culture wants to dictate. And because it's our culture, it's a rudiment of the world. And it will spoil you from Christ. And that's part of crucifixion. I have to die out to my identity outside of Christ. So he can give me his identity for me in Christ as accord to his planning as according to his plan purpose and will both for the universe and for eternity and for time and space and my life praise god in order to have pure motives the lord buffeted allowed the lord allowed the lord didn't do the buffeting the lord allowed the buffeting of Paul, and and we're going to talk for a few minutes here on the peril of not being buffeted. But first, we'll talk about some buffeting, and we'll then we'll talk about we'll we'll read some scriptures that talk about those who are not buffeted and what the outcome of that is. Uh, let's talk about the buffeting of Job. Job chapter two, verse one. I've read these before in an earlier lesson. Read them again. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. So he was not the sons of God. He was not a part of the angels of God. And the Lord said to Satan, from whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And he didn't add because he knew it was understood and causing whatever trouble I can for you, God. And the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job that there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth his fast, his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. So the Lord repeated what he said about Job to Satan in chapter one. But now the Lord adds something here. (laughs) Ha ha. If you consider my servant Job, there's none like him in the earth, perfect upright man, uh, a perfect upright man, and one that feareth God and sheweth evil, and something new's been added. And he still holdeth on to his fast to his spiritual integrity, although I gave you permission to come against him. And Satan answered the Lord and said, "Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life." Now, but put forth. Thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. All this other stuff you let me do, that was all ex- outside of him. Didn't affect his being except from the sorrow of loss and the feeling of loss. Uh, and, uh, and, and let me touch his body and he'll curse thee to thy face. That's a strong statement. But the Lord said, and the Lord said and Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand. Here's your permission. And here's the limitation, but save his life. You can do anything, but you can't kill him. That's another thing all of us need to understand. Satan does not have the authority to take our life. Only God sets the appointed date of our life. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that judgment. God is the appointer of the date of our death. Now, sometimes we don't like that day of appointment. Some days and sometimes when we lose a loved one, we're upset over that. God has his purposes. And if we're going to have faith in God, we've got to trust him with that. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord, verse 7, and smote Job with sore boils from sole of his foot unto his crown. His entire body was covered with boils. And he took him a potsherd, a broken piece of pottery, to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. The only way he could get relief from the pain and the itching and the and the and the, 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 the soreness and the, the torment of those boils covering him from head to foot was scrape them with a, a piece of broken pottery. And he sat down among the ashes. I don't know how long this went on, but his wife finally said to him, and I don't know that we know his wife's name, but his wife said unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Do you still retain your spiritual walk with God, your faith in God, your obedience to God, your submission to God? After all he's let you do to you, he's let happen to you? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, which proved the buffeting worked. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women, a fool that said in his heart there is no God. You speak like those that don't believe in God's existence, that don't believe in the accountability of our choices. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all of this, not just the boils and not just what his wife said, but all that other stuff, losing all of his possessions and all of his ten children, seven sons and three daughters, dying in one accident. In all of this did not Job sin with his lips. Because I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes the the greatest victory you can have is just keep your mouth shut. Your brain is getting bombarded from all that you're going through. Getting bombarded. All this stuff is happening. All of this stuff is happening. I'm getting bombarded. And uh the best I can do is just keep my mouth shut. I remember a time years ago. Oh, we'd probably been here yeah. six, seven, eight years. Uh, No, it was a little longer than that because uh, we'd finished our building in 83. So we'd been there 12, 13, 14 years, whatever it was. And uh, it was uh, Saturday. And there was some stuff going on and I was frustrated. I was so frustrated. And uh, there was stuff going through my head. Oh, man, I, I it was accusing me of being a failure and I was worthless and I couldn't do anything right and blah, blah, blah. And this just went on and on. And uh, uh, it went all through Saturday evening and me trying to get ready for church the next day and my brain's getting beat out. And I never one time said out loud the stuff going through my mind. I wouldn't even pray it out loud. And uh, finally my wife went to bed that evening and, and I couldn't. I couldn't go to sleep. I didn't trust myself to go to sleep. So I laid downstairs on the couch. My wife was upstairs asleep. And I went all night praying only in my mind with this stuff beating my brains out because I was under such pressure in my mind from all these thoughts that I was afraid that if I opened my mouth and began to talk out loud, that I would break this. Strength I was being given to not say this stuff that was going through my mind. You're a failure. This church is hopeless as long as you're its leader. You're the whole problem here. You're the only thing wrong with here. And you're in the way of what God is trying to do. And, and, and this thing is going to come to nothing. It's all going to collapse If you keep keep holding on, and it's your pride that's got you holding on, and you're arrogant, and you think you're the only one that can do this, you think God doesn't have anybody else he can do this with and maybe better? And I heard this stuff all night long. And the victory was. I never would say it out loud. I don't know how I knew that. But I knew in my spirit. Do not say this stuff. Do not voice this stuff. Don't even pray about this stuff. Don't even confess out loud this is going through your mind. You just hang on to Jesus. Keep your mouth shut. Well, about eight in the morning, I had not had any sleep. Church started at 10. And all of a sudden, something lifted off me. And I hadn't. Prayed verbally. And I hadn't studied verbally. I had fought one of the most difficult personal battles in my life. Of my life. And we had church that morning. And God moved. It was amazing. And it happened because. God gave me, gave me the grace to win the battle, to not say out loud the stuff that was beating my brains out. Now, there are times that I do pray those things because I'm casting them on him. And I'm not, you know, that's the case. But in this, this situation, and there are times that the greatest victory you can have is not speak your fears. You just keep, I cast all you can say is I cast it all on you, Lord. You don't have to itemize it. I cast it all on you. I don't voice my fears. I don't voice my doubts. I don't voice my unbelief. Whatever is in my head, I don't voice it. Jesus' name. Let's look at the buffeting of the apostles. Paul makes it very clear that while he and the other apostles were buffeted, buffeted, some in the church were not buffeted. Let's look at the outcome of that. Therefore, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. I've read some of this before, but but listen carefully to this. 1 Corinthians 4, 4, verse 7. Who maketh thee to differ from another, and what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory or boast as if thou hadst not received it? You earned it instead of receiving it. You didn't earn it. You received it. You can't boast about that. Now ye are full. Now ye're rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God ye did reign, that ye we might also reign with you. For I think that God had set forth some set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels, and to men. Huh, that's, pretty, that's pretty strong, isn't it? We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised, reproached, shamed. Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and are naked, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place, no place to call home. And labor, working with our hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, I warn you. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet ye have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech, ye, beseech you, be ye followers of me. Verse 17, he continues. For this cause I send unto you Tim- Timotheus, Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Why did I send Timothy to you? Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will and will know, not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, or in the spirit of meekness? Now, Paul tells us all the things that he, as an apostle and other apostles, went through. But there was this: the people in this in the Corinthian church, there were some people there. They hadn't gone through all of that. Paul tells itemizes all the things that their life was like, which was exactly the opposite of all the things that Paul went through. And the problem was. They never were humbled. They never realized how weak they were. They never had Christ as their strength. And they got so puffed up that they saw Paul as weak and them as strong. And they said, He's weak. And they said that like, I wouldn't come to you, Paul said. But I'm coming. And when I get there, if the Lord will, I want to know not the speech of them. I don't want to hear their pretty words. I want to know what God's done through them. I want to know how much power God is resting on them and in them by their submission to God. I want to know that. I want to know that. I want to know that. Because some use the power of God for their own benefit. Others use the power of God or, or, or are use of the power of God for God's glory. Not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Paul tells us of his, of the benefits to him of his buffeting. I've read these verses many times through these four parts of our motives from God's perspective because they are so critical to us. This is, this is another explanation, description from Paul of the, the effects of him being crucified with Christ and Christ living in him and the faith of Christ ministering through him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Why would Paul say that? Because he knows that's the thing that turned his life into a completely different direction. Because he had been Saul through part of his saved life, but he came became Paul because through being crucified with Christ he was brought to the end of himself. So I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. But not you, Again, as I've taught this before, not that people could see, but in here Paul knew I can't do this because Jesus said without me, you can do nothing. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. I did not use oratory to impress you and to draw you unto me so that you would be my disciple. I want you to follow me as I follow Christ so you end up being Christ's disciple, not mine. And my speech and my, my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. For what purpose? that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. I have some great friends and brothers who are truly great men of God. They are great men of God. Their ministries have blessed me over the years. God has used them to speak to me many times, and I'm very, very thankful for that. But my faith does not stand And all of those preachers and ministers of the gospel, teachers of the word who have been a blessing to me, my faith stands in the power of God. Like Paul initially, some of us uh, have spent most of our prayer times over the years praying the thorns that God has allowed us to have off of us. We do this to our own peril. Our Father's in heaven rules over all the circumstances of our lives. We must be very spiritually discerning in our prayers that we are not praying against the will of God for us and praying against those things that the Lord has allowed to come in our lives to buffet us and to crucify us with Christ as His agents of crucifixion. Oftentimes, we rebuke the devil for things that are happening in our personal lives and fail to see the permission of God behind those things that he is using to work for the good. The result, if we pray these things off of us consistently, we will become puffed up, and that displeases God. The love of God has allowed these things to happen to us his great love wherewith he loved us. He's allowed to, because of that love, he's allowed these things to happen to us, that he might make himself known to us in dimensions we will never know in good times, good times by our definition, in ways that we will never know him without pain, without problems, without pressures, without suffering with him and his sufferings, because he promised That if we suffer, he is suffering with us. I am fellowshipping with him in suffering. I don't want to pray off anything he's not done with yet. Whenever he's done with something, he'll simply speak to my spirit and I will speak the word of authority, of faith. And it'll be done. It'll be over. But if I'm praying that away, And he hasn't told me to do that. I'm praying out of the will of God. I'm praying for my natural benefit in spite of the damage that's doing to my spiritual benefit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Revelation, would impart to us understanding and wisdom in the ways of God and to give us a spirit that discerns what is, whether or not what's taking place in our lives is the will of God because the Lord has permitted it. Or if it's not the will of God, he will give us a rama to speak against it, and it will go. But it needs to be according to God's will and not our own. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray these things. God bless you. In Jesus' name.